Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. After the rapture, you remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us in Thessalonians that there is going to be something called a harpazo, a snatching away, a rapturus, and where we get our rapture. After the rapture, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in him, you are going to go with him in the rapture. You are the bride of Christ. After the rapture, some of the greatest evangelism the earth has ever seen will take place. Not this week, but next week, we're going to see two of the greatest witnesses actually preach from Jerusalem, and they will witness to all who will listen. Well, Ben, why not this week? Because when I broke down just the study, just what John said, I knew that I was well over an hour and a half. So I had to stop and go, okay, let me just talk about this today, and we'll bring it up. Now, we're going to read the entire section, because I want you to come back next week, but we're going to see this. So far, Rosa, we have seen 144,000 Jewish converts and innumerable multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They're going to be witnessing. Why? Because as much as we're sitting here and I'm jumping up and I'm chicken little going, please, Jesus is coming, please repent, turn to God. There's still going to be people that need to get saved. And God's so merciful. He's so gracious. He's so compassionate. He doesn't want to see it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Right? But have everlasting life. That's the whole point. He loves us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the enemy, and I know who it is, it's the enemy comes in and he, and, and, he, and he shoots these fiery darts in our brain that makes me believe that maybe God is some tyrant looking, going, just step out of line, just do it one time, Ben. That's not God. But the enemy tells me that's who God is. Feathers, just one sin and you're not coming to heaven. And, and we get scared and, and, and we can't live that way. That's not, that's not freedom. That's the enemy. Because God so loved you, he paid the price. And so the devil goes, hey, feathers, you're a mess up. You're this, you're this. You go, amen. That's why Jesus died. Because he knew exactly who I was. And so again, guys, we're going to see all of this going down. But we're going to see witness. We're going to see a witness, a little bit of worship tonight. But witness, witness. Let me just say this when it comes to witnessing. You ready? We have to share. We have to share Jesus. Can I get an amen? No, no, no. Let me say this again. We have, no, you go, Ben, we don't have to share. Here's why. Here's why. Witnessing is not something you do. Witnessing is something you are. Okay? Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses unto him. Do you remember this? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, 
and in all of Judea, Samaria, and that's the whole point, guys. And, and even talking to Josh today, it was so cool because God used Josh Flores to do an amazing, I mean, just be his witness. That's so cool. And a lot of times, people will come to discipleship class and they'll go, when am I going to use what I've learned? And then all of a sudden, boom, God's going to use you in just great situations. And you're going, man, I didn't even, I didn't even know. I, didn't, I, I can believe that. I can believe that. You see, it was just yesterday. It was just yesterday. I had met some friends for coffee and we're sitting having coffee and we're talking about discipleship. And we're talking about discipleship and what discipleship means and, and how Jesus taught his disciples through osmosis. He showed them, he taught them, but he, they also lived with him. You understand discipleship. They saw Jesus do stuff and so they followed in his footsteps. And so we're talking that we don't need to teach an old lady how to cross the street. We just need to be with Jesus and naturally we'll learn how to disciple and do good into others. You guys tracking with me? Okay? I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, a man comes up to our table and says, um, could you give me a ride? And we look at him and we're like, ah, oh, we don't know you, sir. I just, I, well, I just need a ride down just, just a couple of blocks. I'll pay you. I'll give, can, I, can I just, I just need a ride. It's raining and I just need a ride. Well, we had just been talking. We had just been talking about being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I said, you guys up for it? Yeah, let's go. So we all jumped in my truck. And from the time we left the coffee shop to where we needed to drop them off, couldn't be no more than four minutes. You guys with me? In that time, I witnessed to this man. You go, wow. Well, yeah, but you're the pastor. No, no, no. Here's what, I'm, here, here's what I've always said. Listen, it's one thing to have a random chance at the gym or wherever you might be to, to share the love of Jesus. It's random. But when God brings them to you, I've always said, if God brings them into this church or God brings, it's on. And I, and I shared and I told them what's going on in the world in the four minutes we had and told them he needed to know Jesus. You see, because witnessing is not something, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, something I got to do. I've got to do this. Ah, I got to go save 40 people today. Oh, God's going to be met. Witness is just something we are. Because, because here it is. Here it is. And we're not even going to talk about this. We're not even going to talk about this till next week. But here it is. All it is is one beggar showing another beggar where to buy bread. That's all it is. It's one beggar. Showing another, here, I know where the bread is. Come. And we make it so complicated. We make it so complicated. But I start thinking about this, and I start thinking about the stuff that we're going to see. And, and I, started, I started thinking about the two witnesses that we're going to see next week. And I started thinking about actually John measuring the temple. And, and, I, and I started thinking about some scenes in the Bible. Right? Things that I'm looking forward to seeing when we get to heaven. You go, well, like what? Well, maybe we'll get a great preview of God opening the Red Sea. God, God, could we see how you did the Red Sea? And we could see the look on the Egyptians' faces and be like, wow. And I mean, it's going to be like in 4K, right? It's going to be just like, wow, Lord, that's so cool. Are you, you guys not, in, you're looking forward to maybe seeing some of this stuff, right? 
Or, or maybe you're like, hey, no, I want to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I want to see the look on Nebuchadnezzar's face when he goes, there's four in there. <laughs> right? And you're just like, man, I want to see that. Because that blows my mind. Four, we threw them in the fiery furnace. They should have been toast. Psst. Sally, the, the people who threw them in the fire got burnt. It was that hot. And there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, how you doing? High five. What's up? And the Bible says they don't even smell like smoke. They don't even smell like smoke. Right? I don't know if I would be willing to watch the crucifixion, though. Although it's a big part of our lives, I don't know if I would... I don't know. I would like to watch the resurrection, though. Can you imagine the light in the tomb and the grave and the Lord's like, what's up? But the scene, guys, that we're going to be looking at today in Revelation 11 is one I'm anxious to see. Okay? But this is nothing that we're going to be looking back at. It is something we're going to see unfold firsthand. Now, as we get ready, remember what we've been talking about. You guys with me? Okay, we've had a break in the action, okay? It's, uh, we're in the halfway through the tribulation. We have what we call a parenthetical or a parentheses pause from the judgments that God is pouring out, okay? You guys with me? Here's what's happening. Man, okay, tell me how this, how this closely relates to what's going on today. Man has turned their back on God. They want a world without God. And so God goes, okay, and he, and he, in his mercy, he's, he's, he's pouring out these judgments. But they're so intense that God goes, okay, chapter 7, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a break to catch your breath. Chapter 10, I'm going to give you another break. It's so intense. You guys understand that? I mean, we've just looked through this. And, um, and, and so God says, like, I need to give you a break. And when I started thinking about God giving us a break in chapter 7 and God giving us a break in chapter 10... It reminded me of a story. You ever ever like a story? It was a story when I first started out running. Now, you need to understand, my wife has always been a runner, okay? Now, I've always played sports, but she's a runner. You guys know the difference, okay? When I played football, we ran. Mike, you with me? We ran, and that was it. We didn't go running anymore, but runners run all the time, and they run for fun, which I don't get, but... I think I'm allergic to running. You guys understand that? Because I start sweating really bad and my heart gets really fast and I can't breathe and so I need to stop. Anyways, we're running, okay? The girls were little. Talia will remember this, okay? Because she was an accomplice to what happened. We took off running, right? And I was not going to let my wife win, okay? I'm not. Feathers laughs because she knows. So you ready? And she's like, let's go. So she takes off on her jog, and I'm like, whoo, I start taking off. I start going. I'm looking behind her going, well, I got this E, because I'm an athlete. You understand. And guess what happened? It wasn't too long when all of a sudden I realized that I'm not in shape, and I, and I had to stop and take a pause, right, because was, this was not going good at all. Okay, and I turn around, and here comes Natalie. And I'm just like, okay. 
Well, I continued to run because I was not going to let her beat me. But it wasn't very long until I needed another break. Well, during that time, Nathalie was so far ahead that here came my daughter on her bike that apparently I jumped on her bike and had her ride me, apparently. I, I don't remember, Sarah, but apparently I jumped on her bike and rode with her close to where Nathalie was and got off and tried to finish the race. You go, did you do that? I plead the fifth. But here's the point. While we're in the tribulation, guys, at the time, it, it really felt like there was so much going on that we needed a break. We needed a chapter 7, right? And, and that's where Nathalie, uh, boom, she, she passed us, right? But as I continued to run, it wasn't very long that I needed a chapter 10 break, okay? And, um, and Talia's an accomplice to the crime. She had a bike, and she said, come on, Dad. And I got on. And uh, I was told, I was told that I jumped off the bike and sprinted to the finish line to win. Was that true? Huh? She believes it. You go, Pastor, your point. That's just a fun story to tell you guys. We are still in the second pause, and it seems this is the final pause before God gives his final death blow, if you will. The last chance to turn and get saved. You understand? Okay, um, right now, right now, chapter nine. All of these, all of these judgments, guys. These demon-looking things with scorpions' tails that torment you for five months. All of this stuff, death all around the world. And you know what the Bible says? And men fail to repent. They didn't want to turn. They didn't want to turn from their idols. They didn't want to turn from serving the enemy. They didn't want to. They didn't want to. And and and, and that would be my heart that that we would repent. We would repent from the things that are pulling us so far away from God. And that we wouldn't have a blind eye or, or dark hearts, that we wouldn't see that the Lord is, is calling us. Well, this is the one last chance. And last week, in verse 11 of chapter 10, it said this, And he said to me, okay, John, yes, sir, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. But before John can do that, guys, he must continue with instructions that the mighty angel gave him, okay? So here's what we're going to look at. If you're taking note, jot this down. I divided our section, two verses, into two parts, okay? What's that? Number one, John is told to measure the temple, to measure the temple. That's the first part. The second part is he's told to measure the worshipers. The worshipers. So we're measuring the temple. You go, okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the temple. We're going to talk about the worshipers. Now, for the sake of our study tonight and next week, I want us to read, guys, I want to be in the Word of God. I want us to read all of 1 through 14, And then we're just going to hang out in verses 1 and 2. You guys with me? Revelation 11, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it. You can read it up on the screen, but I'd rather you uh, read it here so you know that what I'm saying is true. Verse 1 says, then, now John says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. 
But leave out the outer court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread on the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. And if any wants to do them harm, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So these have power to shed heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often they desire. Now, your attention, please. A lot of people feel like this is Elijah and Moses based upon the powers that they have. You understand that? Okay, because these are the ones you go, oh, yeah, 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 because Moses did that. Moses turned the Nile into, well, it was God, but Moses in the stick. And I'll just, just keep in mind, we're going we're gonna to dissect it. I just wanted to give it to you. Verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified, which was? Jerusalem. You guys with me? Then from those, the people's tribes, tongues, and nation will see their dead bodies three and a half days. Your attention, how are you going to see their bodies? Oh, wait a minute. We live in a world where everything is real time now. Can you imagine just 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Mike Shaw, could you imagine that would never, it'd be like, how would we see this? Because, because right now it's, 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 it's early morning in Jerusalem. How would we, oh, wait a minute. We can see it real time. Wow, the capabilities. You're going, man, this Bible's just, whew. And their body's going to lie there three and a half days. And the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood to their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Can you imagine? And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended in heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and guess what? A tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God in heaven. And the second woe was passed. Behold, a third woe was coming quickly. Now, I've, I've, I've wet your whistle on the two witnesses, but we're not going to talk about them till next week. So you have homework this week. Who are they? Is it Elijah? Is it Moses? Could it be Enoch, right? Because Elijah and Enoch were the only two that, were never, that didn't die. They were taken. They were, well, Enoch were walking, was walking so close with God. God said, hey, we're a lot closer. He, he says, God, we're a lot closer to your house than mine. Why don't we just go home? And so he took Enoch, right? And so Enoch is up there. But nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that Enoch did these, 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 these crazy things. So some people go, hey, it's Moses. Because we never found the body of Moses, but we know he did die. He died in Mount, in Mount Ararat, right? Mount Nebo. My bad. Mount Ararat was Noah. Noah. Sometimes the but biblical stuff gets jumbled in there. I got... Okay. But tonight, let's talk, guys, about worship. Let's talk about worship. Because in order to be a good witness, you have to worship first. 
You have to worship first. So let's go back, guys. We're going to measure the temple. You ready? Verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. This is a great command. Okay? But what we need to understand is John is giving a measuring rod. Okay? But it says he's, it consisted of a reed plant. You guys, a reed plant, it, it grew in the Jordan Valley and it grew 10 to 15 feet long. Now, an, to us, we're like, well, I'm not in a Jordan Valley. And here's the equivalent. And, and he gave him a measuring tape. Okay? That's basically, he gave him, Mike, he gave him a 25-foot a, a measuring tape. That's what, that's, he goes, you need to measure this, okay? John was said to take this reed, this staff, if you will, and he's told to measure, to measure the temple of God and to measure the altar, okay? Now, the temple and the altar, it refers to the holy place, and the Holy of Holies. Okay? The altar of incense is in the holy place, but not, guys, don't me- do not measure the outer court of the temple. Now, here's the deal. You guys remember that when John is in the island of Patmos, and he's receiving this great revelation but he's got to convey it to the world. He's got to convey it in a way that Nero isn't suspecting anything. Most Gentiles would not know what the temple was in Israel. But the Jewish people would know exactly what he's talking about. The, the temple, the, te- the temple. And so they knew what it meant. Measure a temple. We're going to measure a temple. Oh, yeah. Okay? Measure the ark. The, well, the ark. Right, the, the Holy of Holies, the altar. But, but Pastor Ben, he said, don't measure the, the, the outer court. Now, the question comes up, why, why not measure the outer court, Mike Shaw? Why? Why? Well, before I can answer that, let me give you the reason why John was told to measure. Why was he told to measure? This is going to be so cool. Here's why. Feathers, when Jesus died on the cross and you accepted him, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. You now became the temple of God as the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You are, the, you are a, temp, you're a temple of God. Okay? There's not a physical temple in Israel, but when you gave your life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you and Jesus came in your heart, you are now the temple. You are the temple of God. That's why we have to be careful with our Temple. We have to treat our temple right. That's why I said, enjoy your life, but don't overdo it with ice cream and sugar, because that won't be good for the temple. John, I want you to measure the temple. Jot this down. Number one, measuring speaks of ownership. When you measure something, it speaks of ownership. It's like a property line. Measure what's mine. You guys, you guys get that, right? If we're going to measure something, measure that, right? You go, well, give me some reference. In Zechariah chapter 2, there is an instance. This is Old Testament, guys. There is an instance where the city of Jerusalem is being measured just prior to being judged, which I find very interesting. 
because we're right in the middle of massive judgment. Not you and I, because we're, we're with Jesus, okay? You go, Ben, what are we doing? Man, we're having a great time. We are in the midst of eating and feasting. It's unbelievable. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. In Ezekiel chapter 40, jot that down. Ezekiel 40, the temple of God is carefully measured with a reed, it says. A measuring line or rod is used in Ezekiel, check this out, as a symbol of preparation for rebuilding the city and the temple in the kingdom age. So not only is it for judgment, but it's also for rebuilding. Huh, what is God trying to communicate to us, guys? There is also one more instance of measuring. It's found in Revelation 21, where the new Jerusalem is measured. All new. So you have, you have judgment, you have new, right? Or you have, you have basically rebuilding, and then you have new. You're like, okay. All of these acts, guys, all of these cases, act of measuring, primarily seems to signify that the objects or area being measured belong to God in some special way. So here's what I would jot down. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of ownership. Okay? That's very, very important. Secondly, measuring of them is also an evaluation of the property. When you measure something, it's also an evaluation. You're like, what do you mean? Well, here's the deal. In Zechariah 2, when the city of Jerusalem was measured, it was found, check this out, spiritually lacking. You go, what does that mean? Guys, the evaluation was not good. There were some things that needed to be fixed. There are some, you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Well, here's the thing, guys. If we're taking notes, the purpose of measurement was for ownership and evaluation. You're like, I'm with you. So how does this apply to me? Good question. You guys are very smart. How does this apply to you? As fully devoted followers of Christ, we too are measured. You go, what? Guys, we're measured in the sense that we belong to God. We belong to God. I don't know if you grasped that, but when you gave your life to Jesus, you said, I am no longer in control of my own life. I am going to trust the living God. I belong to him. Rosa, do you remember that? I belong to him. Just part of you, Rosa, or all of you? All of me. He has ownership. You're like, okay, cool, cool. You have given your rights to Jesus And you have allowed him to take ownership. Can I get an amen? When you get saved, he is, you have a new owner. That's what Paul says. I am a, I am a slave. I am a servant. I am a bond servant. In other words, I have no rights. I belong to you, Jesus. I belong to you. But the second part of measuring is this. You ready? Evaluation. Evaluation. Have you allowed him to evaluate his property? 
Huh? Yeah, because you just confessed to me right now that you belong to him. But part of measuring is evaluation. What is the purpose of evaluation? So we can find those areas in our lives that we're lacking so that we can allow him to correct us. That's the whole point, to go, look, here's, here, here's the... Because, guys, what he wants us to do is called progressive sanctification, and it's being like Jesus every single day. But we have to allow him to come in and evaluate what's going on in my heart so he can make those necessary changes. If, he, if I don't allow him to come in and evaluate me, then I don't know where I stand with him, and I don't know if I'm pleasing to him or not. It's not a salvation issue. It's a growing issue. It's a health issue. It's like, I want to know. I want to draw close. Oh, Pastor Ben, you just won't believe that I'm not close with God. I don't understand. I'm just not. I don't feel close to God. Well, you got to allow him to evaluate your heart. Lord, where am I missing it? Where am I stumbling? What am I not giving to you? Where am I falling? And, and, and let's just be honest. We know. We know. <sighs> Lord, you want to measure my heart? No, Lord, no. I don't want to know what's wrong with me. Please, I don't want to. But, but he doesn't do it in a judgmental way. He's not like, look, you just need to fix this or you're... He says, no, no, no. Listen, here's what's keeping you from drawing closer to me. Here's where, here's where you're still... Come on. Do you see it? It's called conviction. We go, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That's what he's talking about, guys. That's what he's talking about. That's the great application for us. Giving him full authority of ownership and then allowing him to evaluate you so you can be more like him every single day. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of Christianity. It's not just to have a Christian t-shirt, but to live our lives for God every single day. To share, to grow. to do life with, to love and to cry, to forgive, especially in our day and age. And I'll tell you why. Because everybody's so wound tight that if you say anything, they're going to come against you. They're going to come against you. Everybody has an opinion. And it's opinion about nothing but they, want, they feel like they need to be heard. And you know what I say? I forgive them. <laughs> Amen. We can't take these things too serious, guys, because we know that the world is so tight. John, what should I do? You measure the temple of God. So when, when John is told to measure the temple, you have to raise your hand and go, which temple? Which temple? Okay. Um, with your permission, I'd like to get a little technical here. You go, what do you mean? Um, there were three temples in Israel's history. You go, no, there wasn't, Pastor Ben. There was two. No, 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 stay with me. The first temple, guys, that we know of, the physical temple was built in Solomon at about 1050 B.C. Beautiful. But, but it was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 586 B.C. Okay. Now, the second temple um, was rebuilt by a fella by the name of Zerubbabel. Do you guys remember that? Okay? 
Now, we were in Israel, and we were talking about it. Now, what you've heard was it's called Herod's Temple on the Temple Mount. We were in Israel, and I remember we were talking about the temple, and Tamri Morgan raised her hand. She goes, that's not Herod's Temple. That's Zerubbabel's Temple. And she's right. He built a temple, but then Herod came in, and he modified it, and he built it just, just ornate with all of this gold that everybody calls it now Herod's Temple. You're going, oh, but originally, guys, Ezra, Zerubbabel, Ezra built the walls, but Zerubbabel built the temple, and then, and then so, and so, technically, there were three. Of course, there are some controversy, okay? But realize this, that Zerubbabel probably built a temple, and then, and then Herod came in with buku bucks. And he just uh, elaborate and ornate. I mean, it took decades to finish and no expenses, I mean, were spared. And this was actually the temple that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. He's walking with his fellows. He's like, hey, guys, listen, th- this is all going to burn. And they're like, Jesus, stop talking like that. He says, no, as a matter of fact, he says, there's not going to be one stone turned that hasn't been turned over. This is what he prophesied, right? Not one stone would be left upon another. And they're like, Lord, have you seen the stones there? If you go, there are literally some stones from that that are on the ground that you can take a picture. They're huge. Huge. And they had overturned those ones. You go, how so? Guys, do you remember? This actually happened 40 years later. A fellow by the name of Titus Despasian comes in. He ransacks everything. He completely burns down Jerusalem in the Temple Mount to everything. But it was so filled with gold that the gold melted and it melted. And guess what? In their greed, they were turning over every stone to get the gold. So Jesus said this is what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. But there hasn't been a temple in Israel for over 2,000 years. Okay? Since 70 AD, there hasn't been a temple. Now, from about 70 A.D. up on the Temple Mount, it was empty till about 600 A.D. 600 A.D., guys, the unthinkable happened. You go, what's that? The Muslims built a mosque there on the old temple site. Okay? They call it the Mosque of Omar or the Dome of the Rock. Any of you hear that? Okay? And it's still there to this day. Now, when you go to Israel, we can go up on the Temple Mount, but you can't take a Bible. You can't really use your phone. You can't do anything. And you have to be really chill, super chill, or they'll kick you up. Okay? And what happens now is that, is that there, you, can, you can't go in the Dome of the Rock. It's, it's usually closed. Well, what happened, guys, is um, Israel sort of regained control of the Temple Mount in 1967 in the Six-Day War. The problem was, and this blows my mind, Israeli General Moshe Dillon allowed the Arabs to keep control of the Temple Mount. And a gesture that he just, I mean, that this is, this belongs to his, and he's like, well, we have, we own it, but you guys can take control. That's what's going on even today. This right here, this piece of property, guys, is unbelievable. It's the biggest sources of contention to this day. 
everybody wants a piece of the Temple Mount. Just this week, in the mosques, guys, instead of a place of holiness and a place of prayer, they had rocks ready to throw in revolt. Not Israelis, but the Arabs who were up there. You can look it up. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. It's supposed to be a place where they come up to pray. Anyone who tries to desecrate the mosque, okay, in any way, the Arabs pronounce what is called the jihad or a holy war. And Israel, no, it's World War III, straight up. This is why Israel's like, look, chill, chill, bro. We're, you know what? You can, you can handle this because and, and they're, they're, they know the moment they were to go in, okay? But I know what you're thinking, You're thinking, Ben, John told us in the tribulation to measure the temple. What temple are you talking about? Well, that's a good question. Okay? That means the temple of God, the temple is going to be rebuilt. How is it going to happen? Well, how is the mosque going to be replaced? Let me give you two possible scenarios, okay? And if you and if you just if you go if you look at the Middle East and see what's going on on the Temple Mount, it'll blow your mind because it's exactly uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight. Okay, maybe that's gonna that's gonna destroy the Temple. Okay, all nations for all intents and purposes is gonna be wiped out. The Muslim religion is gonna be rendered a death blow, and the mosque is going to be replaced. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come off. I'm, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. Okay. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are going to take away a lot of the Muslims, the Hamas, I mean, all of the, um, I mean, just all, all of those radical Muslims. It's going to be wiped out enough to where there could be talks about a third temple. But Israel is not going to build a third temple until the Peace treaty is signed in Daniel chapter 9. So they're not even, they're, they, they have, they're ready. But until this man comes on the scene and says, let's, let's all get along. Okay. Now you have to have some opposing forces, but what if there are not any? And it's going to be a lot easier to go, hey, let's do this. But maybe Ezekiel wipes it out and now it's, it, it's open. Or maybe in Daniel chapter 9, this is the second scenario, Daniel chapter 9, that the beginning of the tribulation time, the Antichrist comes on a scene and he makes a covenant with Israel for seven years. We're told in the middle of the seven years that the covenant of the Antichrist is going to go into the temple, the abomination of desolation. It's talked about that. He's going to say that he's God. You understand that? That's, that's the abomination. The sacrificial system is already going to be back in place and he's going to walk in through and everything. He goes, hey, stop the sacrifices. I'm God. And they're going to go, ah, and they're going to freak out. They're going to run over to Petra. You're going, dude, this is, this is deep. The fact that this takes place in the temple gives us a clue that part of the covenant of Israel establishes with the Antichrist will be centered around him, helping them build, rebuild his temple. If you were to get in the news tomorrow and somebody stood up and said, I want to help Israel rebuild his temple, I'd go, I'd watch that dude. And then I'd look up. And then I'd watch that dude, and I look up because you know what I'm saying. Because it's like, whoa, whoa, 
Whoa. So we know that there's a movement today to rebuild the temple, okay? They have the red heifer. Hopefully, there's, there's a couple of hairs on the red heifer that need to change red, so it could be 100% pure. They have the cedar. They have, everything's ready to go. You understand that. It's ready to go. If the Antichrist stood up today and said, let's rebuild the temple, they can have it done just like that. Okay? This is going to happen. Now, here's the thing. Let me give you, just really quick, guys, a second scenario involving the Antichrist. You go, what's that? What if this man comes up and he finds a way to help Israel and the Arabs coexist on the same mount? You go, what do you mean? Well, here's what I found. It's interesting in light of an investigation by a physicist and an archaeologist by the name of Dr. Asher Kaufman. And what he did, he did a 16-year study on the Temple Mount area. What did he find, Ben? Dr. Kaufman came to the remarkable conclusions. An incredible article dated back in 1983 in Biblical Archaeological, he said this. He unveiled what he calls a great misconception. You go, what's that? All these years, people have thought that the Dome of the Rock is sitting on the spot of the original Holy of Holies. Okay? When in fact, he says, the true location is 100 meters north of where the Muslims have set up a little gazebo-like structure. Do you remember that? Now, below the gazebo is a structure and a flat piece of bedrock from the original temple. So, everybody thinks the Dome of the Rock, this is, and, and if you go to where the, you guys seen the pictures of the, what they call the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall? Well, they believe that that was part of the, the temple, but it's not. If you were to go over 100 meters north, you have this big, flat air, huge area. As a matter of fact, I got in trouble on the Temple Mount because I was looking around and Pastor Bill was talking to me and I could hear him in my little radio and I'm waving and you're not supposed to wave on the Temple Mount or do anything like that. I'm like, hey! And he's like, put your head down. What? I didn't know. But that's exactly that area. So easily they could say, let's put a wall in here. You still, you look, you guys don't look like you believe me. Guys, the Muslims built the gazebo. You guys with me? And here's what they named it. The Dome of the Spirit and the Dome of the Tablets. You're like, why? Why would they name that? Which would seem to indicate that even Islam recognized this site as the spot of the tablets, the Ten Commandments within the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and the Spirit, the Shekinah, the Shekinah, the Ichabod glory of the Lord that covered the ark. So they were like, this is what we need to name this. So according to Dr. Kaufman, guys, most scholars of the temple could be rebuilt and the Dome of the Rock would remain standing there. In any case, remind me of this, it's the Antichrist somehow convinces both groups to allow this. And this would be part of the Dome of the Rock. But the Dome of the Rock would be part of the outer court. You guys with me? Right here would be, this would be the new temple, 
And he says, measure the temple, measure the, the altar, measure the worshipers, but don't measure the outer court. Why, why, why wouldn't we measure the outer court? Look at verse 2. He says, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for how long? 42 months. How long is 42 months? It's 1,260 days, otherwise known as three and one-half years which would make up the second half of the tribulation. And this is known as, jot this down, the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. It's when the Antichrist turns on Israel and begins to heavily persecute the Jewish people. Doesn't that make sense? Right now, right now, this past week, on the Temple Mount, Arabs had a bunch of rocks located all over inside the mosque. Not, not the Dome of the Rock, but just all over. And what happened is that the Israeli police said, we're not going to mess with this. It's not worth it. Just we're going to wait till they're... Well, what happened is they started, getting to, they started throwing rocks at the, the, uh, the security up there, the temple security. Well, eventually it escalated to where the Israeli army had to come in, the police force... And that's where they turned the camera on. And that's what they showed you. Oh, well, look, Israel's attacking us, blah, 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 blah. Okay? But why would you have rocks in there in the first place? So you you understand, it's a hot spot. It's a hot spot. Measure. The second part, guys, really quick, and we'll move. This is real fast, I promise. He says, let's measure what? Let's measure the temple, the altar, but let's measure what? Measure those who worship there, okay? Those who worship there. Here's the reason. God is the judge of man's worship. And the judge, right? And God is the judge of man's character. And the thing about it is that he sees the real you. God knows men's hearts. And and he knows who's coming um, to worship him and to worship him in spirit and in truth with all of his heart in truth, in sincerity, okay? So he says, I'm not only going to measure the, the, the temple, I'm going to measure the worshipers. And it stems back to the evaluation. What's in our heart, right? Because, guys, we're so muddied from the world. We're so dirtied from the world that, guys, when we come to worship, it's not worship. We're, we're, we're not worshiping anymore. We've got all this junk and we're thinking about what we have to do and we've got to worry about tomorrow and work and, and the music and the lights go down and we're just like, okay, it's Wednesday night. And, and, and he's going, no, 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 I want to I measure you. I, I, I want to measure you because, because I, I want to draw close to you. I, I want you to draw close to me. I want, I, I want us to have this great relationship, but, but you're not with me. You're... you're I wonder, and I wonder, when we come on Sundays and Wednesdays, and myself included, what does the Lord see when we come to worship him? What does he see? What, was he, what, what, what will he find here at Calvary Chapel? As he came seeking worshipers, does he see, as he looks in our hearts, what would he find, guys? Would, would he find... Would he find mouths that are singing the words, but hearts that are far from him? 
You know, I do, uh, is he going to find us with our eyes closed and our hands and we're just, we're just here in the moment, but yet we're, we're thinking, oh, you know what I've got to do tomorrow? I've got to do this and, and bless the Lord, oh my soul, whatever we're singing, you know? And, 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 and I mean, we're, we're trying to get in the moment, but man, everything, and it's just like everything's coming out and, and, and we're trying to process, and I know it's hard. We come in here, but we've got to process the day's events in our lives and it's like, oh my goodness. Worship is a big deal to God, and I fall short all the time. I fall short. When we come together, guys, to worship the Lord, let's be careful, please be careful, that we don't get into a religious routine. Why? Because if we get into a religious routine, then we've become religion, religious it's not affecting us anymore. I want you to go back to the day. I want you to go back to the day when God touched your heart. You used to just cry. You used to cry for the Lord worship. Oh, my goodness, Lord. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Lord, amazing grace, Lord. And you guys remember how it, how it just moved you. And, and sometimes we go, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I wonder why so-and-so is not here, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Oh, I left the dishes. Oh, man, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Amen. Hope Ben doesn't go long, but he always does. Amen. You know what I'm saying? But God's here. And he's saying, in these last days, guys, will we worship him in spirit and in truth? And if he was to measure us tonight, would he, what would he find? What would he find? Because he's seeking those that need to be what? That to be seeking. He wants to be seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's what God's wanting to do. Listen to me. He's wanting to build intimacy with you, cultivating a passion for him. Church isn't about just attendance and coming in and yeah, that song was great or I wish she would do my favorite song. It's about coming in and just allowing the Holy Spirit to just overflow in our hearts, just a beautiful love for him. He saved us and we're missing it, church. We're missing. We're getting far away from that. We're bringing the world into, and I say, and I say, using rigbod brush. You understand it? We're, we're we're bringing the world into the church, and we forgot the intimacy with Jesus, and how He pulls on our heartstrings, and He, and He evaluates us, and He corrects us, and we can confess that, and we can walk with Him. That's what we're going to leave with tonight, guys. As we close, I know you were waiting. As we close. Next week, we're going to see the two witnesses, guys, and we'll unpack all of that. We'll unpack who they are. But tonight, let's remind ourselves, when it comes to measuring, we talked about ownership. And so the question is, do we really belong to Jesus? Does he have our entire heart? You go, yes, Pastor Ben. Amen, he does. 
Well, the second thing we talked about is evaluation. If so, what's in our hearts? Are we ready to make the necessary changes that brings us closer to God? I want that. I'm a long way off. I want that. I want to draw close to God. I want to know him. And last but not least, remember, we can't be a good witness until we worship first. Because your worship is going to exude your witness. It's going to be amazing. Why are you so happy all the time? Why are you so joyful? Why you got peace, Rosa? Why? Your world's collapsed. Why? Because you've been worshiping the King of Kings with all of your heart. Sally, why are you not stressed about life? Because you've got Jesus and you've been worshiping it. You understand? And so people are going to see that. Wow. Wow. Amen? Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth and your word. God, thank you for the temple, Lord, and learning about that and growing. Lord, we are the temple, so you have full ownership. Forgive us of our sins, God. We just failed you. But we understand that's why you died, so, so make us more like you. Evaluate those areas in our hearts, God, that are not pleasing to you so that we can walk in righteousness. I know we're not perfect, but progressive sanctification means I'll be more like you each and every day. But Lord, cultivate that relationship with you. Cultivate that, God. Never let me compromise my relationship with you. Let me never take you for granted. But fill us with your spirit, God, to do your work, to grow close to you in these last days. Because we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.